whenever Christmas rolls around, it's kind of a, a quirky thing for... Um, Um, it's a cra- it's a crazy time because, um, well, you basically know what you're going to preach on every year around Christmas time, uh, and uh, it, it goes it gets pastors just 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 combing uh, research and ideas and uh, and uh, and questions. It's a notorious time for pastors to have absolutely no inspiration whatsoever, uh, and it's especially bad when Pastor Howard has been preaching his socks off on this Christmas series lately, and it's been so amazing. And uh, and I'm looking at the pages and the uh, and the passages and going, oh, I have the Charlie Brown Christmas passage today. Uh, uh, who can do better than Charlie Brown? I mean, it's the most innovative uh, uh, declaration of the word in the last 50 years. I mean, come on. Uh, it, it, everyone's heard it three, four times now. And, uh, and, and so you go scouring for, uh, for, uh, through the blogosphere and, and trying to figure out some good ideas and, and what new spin and innovative way you can kind of work on it. And uh, uh, I, I did that. I have to admit, and uh, but I came across something that was absolutely liberating for me, and that was this. His name was George Van Popta, uh, Fon, or Van Popta, from Ancaster, Ohio, at Ancaster Canadian Reformed Church. And he did something absolutely so liberating, so innovative, so uh, spot on. He dared to uh, defy all the... Uh, 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 previous understandings and contemporary ways of doing it, he decided he would just tell the story. I loved it because there's this, uh, his websites even, I mean, like you go on it and it's just vanilla and it's got nothing flashy on it. There's no literal flashes or anything even colorly flashy and it's just got like 51 sermons in a row. That's the church's website. And uh, I thought, well, you know, Maybe that's as innovative as it comes for the 50th time. And, the, and uh, there's a reason why uh, we celebrate it in church history for so long, uh, year after year. Maybe we should just tell the story. Uh, a professor of Pastor Howard of mine used to say, uh, dare to be boring. Um, and so that's either homiletical suicide for you and I'm preparing you for boredom. Or uh, or maybe, just maybe, this story means something to us. Just maybe. Uh, I was laughing because I was thinking about this. These kind of things hit me all at the same time. There's a... Um, there's a, as you know, and Christ Central is apt to do this, is to, is the most important thing in churches is to be cool. You know, as if cool was the, you know, the most important reality we had. And, uh, and so there's this actual, uh, I have a friend of mine who's in, um, who's in, um, uh, who's in Denver and, and they've been, and with another friend who's in, in, um, uh, in, in Nevada, and they've been, have this little, they're kind of quasi-designers, and they've been going back and forth about, uh, about kind of mocking our, our need to be cool in churches, and so they have this really great series of, of, of pictures that are going back and forth, and, um, there's this picture of the guy with a, uh, with a, uh, a collar, and he's got a black shirt on, and it says, churchy is the new black. Instead of uh, instead of these kind of cool hip, you know, uh, be really relevant and really cool kind of things, they have all these kind of really silly uh, deals. And my favorite one is is that oh, I have two favorites. One is there's this there's this kid who's kind of looking out into the into the into the sunset, and he says, "Do you want God, but don't want guitars?" And uh, and it says, you know, come to our church. Uh, 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 there's another one. This isn't as funny, but it's, there's this big picture, this glorious vestment, and it says, uh, uh, "Join us, we're churchy." Uh, and uh, my favorite last one is this picture of the old is, is a pew and it looks really hard and it says church should make your bottom hurt join us 
I like it because it gets to the back that we should just... There's just a simple thing that we do here at Christmas time. We just get to the story. We get to what, what, uh, what's happening in, um, in this passage. And what I want to do is just read the story to you and then just kind of take some time and talk about the singers of the song. You know, we're in a, a sermon series about singers, uh, about songs and Christmas songs. So we're going to talk about the singers. We're going to talk about the song. And then we're going to talk about the sung too. But uh, as we do that, let's just read this story. And uh, don't think Charlie Brown when I read it. Think you know, Jesus and the writer of Luke and, and uh, the church for thousands of years hearing, reading this. Um, it's in your bulletin and you can read with me. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. He will find, you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed that the shepherds said, uh, what the shepherds said to them. The singers. Let's talk about those guys at first, or guys and gals. Who knows what they are? They're angels. Uh, let's set the stage for what the singers are. It says in the scriptures that they were keeping watch uh, over their flocks at night, uh, the shepherds were. And so you uh, think dark and uh, think night. Uh, ex- but you should know this is an extremely normal activity for shepherds. This is uh, just hanging out on the corner. This is like walking around uptown in the middle of the, uh, in, uh, like 8 or 9 or 10 at night. There's lots of people mulling around. There's lots of people uh, here and there. Um, but there's something a little bit uh, foreboding about this. And that's because of the context that you don't read here, and not in this passage. But early in the scriptures you read about, uh, it's not just dark and it's not just night. There is a sense in which they're antsy uh, because there's a sense of fear and death that's around. Um, it's not just death, but it's not just dark, but it's fearful. Um, and you see that first when the shepherds say, "Do not be afraid." But but uh, back in Matthew two, you read that uh, that there is a there's a reason why there's uh, there's fear and death around, and that's because of Herod. Herod is the present reigner of the area, and he uh, the governor of the area, and he's found out that there's actually a king to be born. And so, like a good totalitarian dictator, um, uh, he said, "You know what? Well, I want to make sure this king doesn't actually take my throne. So what will I will do?" I will actually commit infanticide. I will actually have all two-year-olds and under killed. The background and the backdrop of Christmas is infanticide or a genocide infanticide, a regional infanticide, a, a horrible massacre. That's the steading. That's the uneasiness that must exist. It says uh, that Herod was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and in the vicinity two years old and under. Uh, and it fulfills a prophecy that happened, it says in Jeremiah, uh, hundreds of years before that, that there's a voice as heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they were no more. That's the backdrop of Christmas. That's the backdrop of the song that we are about to hear be sung. And in that backdrop comes 
uh, what can only be called spoken word, uh, spoken word, semi-poet, semi, uh, semi-song. Uh, and an angel of the Lord comes. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, the scripture says. Now, uh, just like baby Jesus didn't have blue eyes and, uh, uh, and blonde hair, neither did angels. You guys, you cannot think of the little cherub, Raphael, with the curly hair. You just can't, by Raphael, you just can't, all really fat and chubby. Now, they might have had red hair because we know that would be an important thing for them. But, um, but certainly not blue eyes. Uh, they, 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 they're not chubby, bunny-looking, you know, squeezable pampers babies. They're not. They uh, invoke terror. They invoke fear. Um, uh, they're not lacy, but they are warrior-like when Abraham was about to sacrifice Isaac with this knife in the air, an angel of the Lord came and held his hand. No little chubby baby's going to do that. Moses at the burning bush, an angel of the Lord. When about to enter, Joshua's going to the promised land, an angel of the Lord. Not just uh, 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 dark and, and, and fearful of a context, but terrifying. Because an angel of the Lord has shown up. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around, shone around them. And they were terrified. Is what the scripture teaches. We, they are not pastel or polite, but terrorizing when an angel of the Lord comes. And then as if uh, the words that he spoke that were not known to the glories of heaven, suddenly not just one angel of the Lord, but a company of the heavenly hosts comes. Suddenly the scripture says, so you're already scared. You know, uh, I don't know uh, uh, how, how, what, what you do when you're scared, when you're a shepherd. I don't, where are you going to run? It's a big field. But, you know, maybe couching or who knows what. And then he speaks. Speaks, uh, the angel of the Lord speaks, and after that, an entire army of angels speak. Amazing. The choir of angels. They are a heavenly host. That is actually a military term. It is a company of hosts. This is a, a company of angels. This is standing at attention, locked and ready to go. A company of angels before the Lord. And, and, uh, and it's, a, it's almost like a battle cry, like heaven is looking down and saying, here is what I have to say to you. What is ha- have, It's a singing army of heaven. It is terrifying, but it is majestic. Think Gloria, but much better than that, with thousands of people before us, just glorious and majestic. I grew up in something that hinted to this. I grew up in a military family, and uh, I grew up with all sorts of change of, change of commands and, and military so- ceremony, all the beautiful pageantry. There is something, something absolutely right about the way the majesty of a military parade works, where where uh, there's flyovers, and we had, where, my dad was in the military as a, 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 an aviator, and there was helicopter flyovers, and there was all these things, and uh, sometimes literally helicopters in the background, uh, and then moving off, and then the band comes and playing and the chorus singing and I used to think it'd be kind of lame if you were the military guy that held the trumpet no offense to trumpet players out there but you know you're a military person but you need to know that the history of the military band is incredible history it's a deeply honored and respected reality the West Point band is like unbelievable and people uh, uh, go play for the army band the army band is actually stationed at West Point and the army band there are people who played at first chair at Northwestern and others who actually get a job in the military so they
they can play for the army band. It's an incredible and huge uh, uh, honor to, to play for the army band. And so this is like an army band playing. It's okay to have a tuba in your hand to the glory of and the majesty of things. Yes, yeah, that's right. For you, Terrence, tuba. All right. Uh, uh, and uh, it's, it, it is, is this incredible majesty that exists. Now, why is all this here? Why is all this here? One of the main reasons why this is here is because God, in this passage, Luke in this passage, and the Holy Spirit inspiring him, is saying, I want you to have a heaven's eye view of that nativity. We've, we got a sense of it in our passage when we were reading our declaration today. And, and Pastor Howard talked about the little baby being a little bit more than the baby, just a little baby. He goo-gooed and gaga and all heaven uh, uh, bowed down when he did so. All heaven shocked and suddenly bring, uh, bringing forth praise to him, saying glory to God in the highest and on earth uh, peace to on whom his uh, favor rests, to the men on whom his favor rests. It's amazing. We're supposed to have a God's eye view, maybe a God's ear view to the chorus uh, coming uh, down. And, and what's happening here is a little bit of political theology. Uh, I mentioned Herod before, uh, but you need to know that Luke knows exactly what he's doing. At the birth of an emperor or at the birthday of an emperor, they would throw huge parties and the army would come down, come down and flags unfurled like the pageantry of an army uh, parade would happen. And uh, even Caesar, uh, I think it's... Uh, let me... Augustus was called the uh, was called when he was inaugurated into his uh, his place. It was it was uh, called Pax Romana, a worldwide peace that was coming over. And uh, and and what's really interesting is that all this might and, and and force and singing and gloriousness, all this incredible power that was exhibited. And Luke's doing the exact same thing. He's saying from heaven's perspective, that is what's happening here. There's this, uh, uh, um, there's this king that is coming. This Luke is coming and says there's a purpose here that he's juxtaposing the king, the emperor, the lord of Rome and the lord of the world, the king of kings and the lord of lords even. He's putting this little baby above, above the emperor in Rome. And the shepherds would have got it instinctively. They would have known, oh, something big's happening. Oh, my goodness. Do you know the story of the first time Messiah was ever played? You remember Pastor Howard just mentioned uh, Messiah, Handel's Messiah? Well, it was being played in England and King George was there. And there's a tradition, I think, I, I haven't been to one live probably in 10 years, and I don't even, maybe 15 years, and I don't even remember if this happened. But at the point of the Alleluia Chorus, people stand. You know that? You know where that tradition comes from? It's actually King George. King George was so overwhelmed by the glory of the Hallelujah Chorus and what it represented as this king coming. The king himself stood up to bring glory and honor, having a heaven's perspective, much like the angels do in this passage, to go, oh my goodness, there's a king greater than I. There's a king greater than me. That's why they stand, because it sounds. That's why the, the, the same reason that, that, that King George stood is the same reason the angels are brought to us so that we could get a heaven's eye view a heaven's ear view, so that we might stand for Christmas. Every once in a while, and I love presents, and I'm not going to take your present away, Terrence, but every once in a while, I wish we'd ban presents, maybe one in five years from Christmas. <laughs> because we get so easily focused on the presents. 
We get so easily focused on, on, uh, on the parties and the things we have to do, the social engagements that must occur in order to be a proper human being in the 21st century during the Christmas season. And we're spent and we're giving all this perspective to the presents, to the stuff. And you kids, I know, I know it's a great thing to receive presents and I want you to receive lots of presents, but it can be tough to think when you're opening those presents to actually have a God's eye view, uh, a, a, let's say an angelic view of what's going on. And you parents are just as bad because you're actually, and we parents, I should say, are just as bad because we're going into debt to make it happen. What about the tasks that we have to accomplish? How many Christmas cards we have to do? The perfect Christmas moment. You know, as if the Christmas, the, 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 the 20 minutes here or the hour and a half here or the, the, the perfect idea that gets shown to us in all these, uh, all these movies and things like that. It's just perfect. And like we have little music coming in in the background where, where, where everything is just safe and right and good. But it's not that safe and right and good because we come into a context and the, 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 the angel of the Lord's, the angel of the Lord and the heavenly host come into context that's dangerous and terrible and horrible and he still reigns as king. Oh, okay. How do you deal with that? Um, that shouldn't be a problem anymore, just in case you were wondering. It, it, that's where he lives. Um, golly. If you're a little nervous, you can move to that side. That really is where he lives. There was a, sorry guys, there was a, a, a rat that came through down to here. And I wish that, I wish there weren't, but there was. Uh, it was fast and, and we thought we had him, but obviously we don't. Um, so, uh, that'll throw you off. Okay. All right. So, we'll bring that up in a second. Let the singers of heaven interrupt you, just like the rat did us. Uh, let the singers of heaven interrupt us and let the, the magnificence and the glory of what Christmas is and what's happening, let it come and invade your life. Be interrupted, even terrified. And turn to the one that they're pointing to as they speak. Heaven on earth, heaven and earth stood at the coming of this king. The singers. <laughs> What's the song? Sorry, I'm still not quite over it. Uh, that's all right. If it would just happen ten minutes from now, it would have been perfect for the sermon. So we'll, uh, we'll we'll delay it a little bit. Okay, the song. A song is a really uh, is is this is is really important, obviously, because it's the content that's driving uh, the majesty and the heaven's eye view of things. It's the content that, that is bringing us around, and it is this. It's a very simple song. Glory to God in the highest, in verse 14. And on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. And you understand that that's a translation. Men means humanity there. There's not a limit in terms of gender with respect to that. It's just the, uh, the easiest way to translate that passage. So I want you to see a couple of things about this glory of God. It's such a churchy, speaking of churchy language, I mean, glory of God. The only time anybody ever uses glory outside of church is like glory days, you know. I mean, there's nothing that we don't use that term very much. So we need to uh, put that up, put, uh, put that under the microscope a little bit and learn a little bit what that is. But there's two things I want you to see is that there is glory being shoved at God 
And then there's glory also being bestowed on whom his favor rests, on people on whom his favor rests. Uh, An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. This passage is filled with this idea of glory. Now, in Hebrew, the word glory means weight, heft. Something, uh, some, something really like a, like, a, like something that is heavy, uh, magnitude, uh, uh, something like, uh, sometimes it's described in terms of somebody's reputation. They're a weighty person, that they have a gravitas, they have a, a gravity about them that's important. But in Greek, the word also refers to something, uh, uh, something like light, or radiance, or beauty, or shining forth, uh, something like that. And so, the, this, this, this uh, word, uh, when translated, is, is, is something like weighty light, which is such a weird juxtaposition, such a weird thing to put together, but it gets at exactly what we're talking about. There's a weight and there's a brilliance and a light that goes to God because of what he's doing here. There's a, there's a heft and a radiance and a majesty that goes to God because of what he's doing in this. And this is not new in Scripture. This idea of glory is around all the places in Scripture, and it all happens in, the, in some of the big daddy places that you see uh, 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 where, uh, in, the, in, in the Bible, where, where um, the glory of the Lord shines around them at, uh, when they're walking through the desert, uh, when they're escaping from Egypt, and keeps Egypt, Egypt from them. Uh, that Moses turns, to the, uh, uh, turns and deals with the glory of God at the, presence, uh, at the, at the burning bush. Uh, he, he has to turn his face from the glory of God when receiving the Ten Commandments, Moses does. Uh, at the transfiguration, Mount of Transfiguration, where Peter and John are there, the glory of God is so strong that they have to turn their faces as well. I, Isaiah says that when he sees the glory of God, that he is almost ruined. Uh, when he sees this glory of God, he actually is at the point where he says, um, I'm a man of unclean lips, and he burns his mouth. Uh, because he knows he can't sit in the glory of what that is. It's an incredible weight and incredible light that comes on, uh, bef- uh comes before the Lord. And actually scripture t- says that, that, uh, the heavens declare the glory of God, the weight and majesty and beauty, the firmaments, the skies declare what incredible God there are. So much so that we, and it says this in Romans, that we are responsible to respond to that. That we're responsible to have some reaction to this amazing glory and weight that happens to us that's around here. There is a huge weightiness to this message. It is, uh, it, and it, it comes in the two words you see in the prologue or the, uh, the spoken word part of our passage. If you look with me in verse 10, or actually even better in verse 11. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born, for he is Christ the Lord. This weightiness, this weighty splendor is, is represented well in these terms, Savior and Lord. That this, that, that what happens is, is that, is that this message is going out is saying that, that God Himself, uh, that Jesus Himself is the glory of God. He is the Lord, the weightiness, the strength, the Prince of Peace, the God who's coming forth, coming forth. He is the one born. Christ is the Lord, is what the verse 11 says. And the writer of Hebrew adds later on that the Son, uh, Listen to this. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. The the song itself, the weighty message of this passage is that Jesus is the weighty one, that he is the glorious one. He is the one that is due all glory and honor, all weight and light. 
But it also shows us that he is the light. And that he's, and we'll talk about this with respect to Savior. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. It's a clearing out light, a, 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 uh, a, a cleansing kind of light that comes out, uh, as he is. He's called, uh, and so that we are called not just to have a, in our, in, in being called to have a Lord and Savior, we are called to fellowship with this glory. As Thessalonians says, he calls you to this gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Glory to God in the highest, and that glory gets transferred to us as well. Now, when you and I deal with this weighty glory, this, this weight and this radiance, it's not a comfortable thing. This is not an easy thing. I, I, sometimes I think it would just be, uh, I, I could just fool you and say, it's going to be fine. Just, just lean into it. It won't, it won't be uncomfortable at all. But that's not exactly the case. This weight, this light uh, transforms us and burdens us. Um, uh, uh, if you think about Herod, Herod was uh, uh, confronted with this light as well. And not only did he want to run from God, he wanted to murder him if he could. To murder his Lord, a Lord that might be a Lord over him. So when we have a Lord and Savior, what happens is that, it, um, that, that, that we have these kind of crazy reactions that come in inside of us. And we're like, oh, I like the Savior part, but not the Lord or something like that. I was talking to a single person the other day who, um, who, uh, has been, who had hung out in our church for a while and they're talking about they're really interested in the faith. They're really interested in who the Lord is, who, who Jesus is. And, and, um, and they said to me, uh, I'm all into this Jesus thing. I, I, I got you. But I'm a little worried if I come to him that he's going to mess with my sexuality. And I looked at them dead, them dead in the eye and I went, oh, I'm so sorry. Of course he's going to mess with your sexuality. He's me- I got a church full of people he's messing with our sexuality with. I don't care if you're straight, he's messing with your sexuality. I don't care if you're homosexual, he's messing with your sexuality. I don't care if you're single, he's messing with your sexuality. I don't care if you're uh, married, he's messing with your sexuality. He is your Lord. He is a Lord who's coming. I got people who are uh, sexual addicts and I got people who are sexual anorexics. Of course he's going to mess with your sexuality. Of course he is. He's the Lord. I'm sorry that somebody told you there was some other way, but there really isn't. He's the Lord. And I wish it weren't that way. I wish we could just skip down to the Savior part and then we could just be rescued. Uh, But then we would never have to worry about uh, uh, any other way to live. We could just kind of sit in the constant rescue. But he isn't just Savior. He's Lord as well. But remember uh, that that burden, that weightiness uh, uh, that that, that comes our way actually ends up healing us. The light that comes our way that shines forth and makes us want to turn away actually is a laser, a, a medical therapeutic laser that comes... And cuts away the things that amplify. I don't know what laser means, but it's light amplified something. And uh, it amplifies it amplifies something and it cuts away what's bad. It cuts away what's bad. And that weight, that glorious weight that comes down, ends up being uh, a, a compress, a, a, something that, can, that pushes on us, that, that, that stops the bleeding. It's uh, applying direct pressure to our souls. It's a good weight. It's a healing weight. And then we can lean and go, oh... You are Lord and I haven't treated as you Lord. Now will you be my Savior and Lord? Will you be both to me? Will you? Will you come and change me and rescue me from my own ways? My rescue me from my own ways. And then when we have a Lord like that, when we have this weight that comes to us, that's when we turn and hear what he first said, what the angel of the Lord first said to the, to the, uh, to the shepherds. He said, do not fear. I have good news for you. 
There's a reason why you fear when the weight and glory of God comes forth. It's because we are, we, we feel like we're going to be crushed under it because the light is too bright for us. But do not fear. You can lean in. Lean in because that weight isn't there to crush you. It's to build you. And that light isn't there to just expose you, but to heal you. It is the Lord. It is the Savior who is Christ who is sung of in these passages. One last thing, and that's the sung to. You would think um, that if God was going to do this right, he would have the celebrity A-list to sing to, right? This would be, you know, it wouldn't be David Hasselhoff there. It would be, uh, uh, I don't know who's hot, Beyonce or somebody. Um, somebody who's on the A-list, you know? This wouldn't be, this wouldn't be uh, the, the C-list folk, you know? Uh, you would figure that uh, he would have all the foreign dignitaries, that he would have all the people that of importance there. You'd figure if you're going to do this thing and you want the maximum impact, then what you need is the quarterback and the cheerleader and, uh, and uh, the cool kids and the, the people of power and money, and you need all those people in a room, and that is who I'll send my singers to. That's who I'll sing my company of angels to. That is not, in fact, the way he did it. This is where it's different than a, than a, a normal military parade. He comes to the shepherds. Now, I don't know if you can understand how crazy this is. This part of the story makes sense. I'll read it to you until, until it stops making sense. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. No problem. Keeping watch over their flocks at night. No problem. Completely normal. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. Perfect, perfect, perfect. And the angel said to them, You know he's about to unload. Here's where it gets crazy. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news. See, shepherds were not people of good repute. They were not people who were, uh, who were the respected people of their day. They were denied civil rights because they were considered cheats. They were not allowed to testify in courts because they were considered liars. Uh, most people assumed that a shepherd was dishonest and that you couldn't trust him. They were not allowed to access the temple. They were a people who couldn't worship. They couldn't come to church on Sunday. The only equivalent I can think of is that, uh, that, uh, that, 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 that it's kind of like, I don't know, like a, like a, if you, if you said it like this, and then, and the angel of the Lord came to the crackheads at 2 a.m. and they were out. No big deal. No big deal. Right? And it came to them, uh, appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And then what? And he came to them, and he said to them, Get back inside. No. Get a job. No. Hands up. No. He said, I bring you good news. I bring you the gospel, literally translated. I bring you good news. There is one who's a savior of you. Of us. There is one who is the, who comes to the despised and the broken and the weak. And he comes and he says, I will be your savior and I will be your Lord. I will be both those things to you. Sure, he'll deal with the fact that, that crack isn't good for you and that stealing for a shepherd isn't right. But that's not what he's come with. That's not what he majored on. Any ancient Near Eastern at the time would have been totally fine up to the point where he said, do not be afraid, I've come with good news. He would, they would have expecting 
bam, I judge you, bam, this is what's going against you, I smite you and your children. They were expecting all these bad things to happen to them. But what an amazing thing that he would come to them and say, I bring you good news. And it's a broadening of the gospel, that will, uh, uh, the good news of this that will, be a, 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 um, that will be before all people, is what the scripture in verse 10 says. It's an incredible broadening, incredible, uh, uh, I can't believe it could be this broad and wide that, that, uh, that God would not just be for the religious people, that he would come and not just be Lord and Savior of the good people, but he would come and be the Savior of the outcasts and the broken and the weak and the sinned against and the sinners and people who don't deserve to be there that he would come for them and us and that it's a huge broadening i was reading through a commentary on this from a guy from the fourth century i love what he wrote here his name is theodotus of ansira yeah Uh, choosing for his birthplace an unknown village in a remote province He is born of a poor maiden and accepts all that poverty implies. For he hopes by stealth to ensnare and save us. If he had been born to a high rank and amidst luxury, unbelievers would have said the the world had been transformed by wealth. If he had thought the transformation had been brought about by civil power, suppose he had been the son of an emperor, then they would have chosen... They would have... They would chose... They would, chosen as his birthplace, the great city of Rome, let's say that God did that. They would have said, how useful it is to be powerful. Imagine him the son of a senator. It would have been, look what he can be accomplished, what can be accomplished through legislation. But in fact, what did he do? He chose surroundings that were poor and simple, so ordinary as to be almost unnoticed, so that people would know it was the Godhead alone that had changed the world. This was the reason for the choosing his mother from a po- from the poor of the very poor country and for becoming poor himself. God has come and he's spoken to shepherds and he's become one who's visited by his shepherds, a God in the trough and a God who speaks the gospel to the outcasts so that we can know, broken and weak, sinned against and sinners, that we can know that he can be our Lord and our Savior as well. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace to men on whom His favor rests. Peace to men on whom His favor rests. I want you to see one last thing. That there's actually a limiting that happens here too. It's always read kind of weird and you always wonder what that means, you know. There's not peace to everybody no matter what. It says there's goodness to all and that everyone should have joy in verse 10. But it says peace comes to those on whom his favor rests. And don't think that's not connected to the fact that he sung to the shepherds and that he ended up in a trough. The people on whom his favor rests are those who will yield to him, to his lordship, that will, that will uh, submit to him, that will receive his goodness and his mercy and the forgiveness of sin that he offers It's the poor and the broken, the poor in spirit. It's the weak and the needy. That's the qualification for having Him as Lord and Savior, to be broken and weak. The only ones that the favor doesn't rest upon are those who don't think they need Him. It's an amazing limitation that happens. It's a limitation only by uh, professing weakness and brokenness and need for Him. Oscar Romero, the great Catholic bishop of uh, uh, 50 years ago, or, well, he died less than 50 years ago, but he says this, No one can celebrate a genuine Christmas, Christmas without being truly poor. 
the self-sufficient, the proud, those who, because they have everything, look down on others, those who have no need of even God. For them, there is no Christmas. Only the poor, the hungry, those who need someone to come on their behalf will have that someone. That someone is God, Emmanuel, God with us. And here it is. Without poverty of spirit, there can be no abundance in God. Without poverty of spirit, there can be no abundance in God. Here's how you know if you're sung to. When you admit that grace has to flow downhill to you. When you come at the foot of the cross and not triumphing over it. When you know that you're broken and weak and that you know not just broken and weak, but that you're also uh, rebellious and sinful and you go after people sometimes. When you can admit that you need not just Lord, but Savior as well. That is who that the, who, uh, the angels are singing to. That is who uh, peace on earth is given. That is the limiting reality of what the Lord is doing for us. It is not for the proud. It is not for the arrogant. It is for the weak and those who will admit that weakness before the God and the Savior, uh, the God and Savior who is Christ, and so that we can join with the angels and sing glory to God in the highest and on whom favor, uh, peace on earth to, I can't even say it right, uh, peace on earth, uh, peace on earth to men on whom his favor rests. Thank you. Um, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you that you love us, that you care for us, that you are um, Lord, Savior. Lord, we thank you that heaven stood at your coming. Lord, teach us to go downhill. Teach us to bend our knee. Teach us to admit our brokenness and weakness. Teach us to admit our rebellion so that we might be healed and lifted by you. Help us not miss the incredible glory, incredible weight of this child you brought for us, Jesus. In Jesus, help us, help us be reminded of who He is. Help us, we ask in Your name. Amen.